Hi, campers. Are y'all doing good this week? Well, if you're asking me, then I'm doing great because I don't know if you know this or not, but Campfire Adventure's birthday is coming up in March. And I'm working on planning this year's festivities, and it should be pretty fun. But if you have any suggestions, then please feel free to let me know because we have a little bit over a month to plan our third birthday, and it wouldn't be a party without the campers. So, I know, I know. You're all waiting for a story, so we're going to get into it, but just keep the party in mind. So, we got a new book for Christmas, and it's titled The Greatest Mysteries of the Unexplained by Lucy Doncaster and Andrew Holland. And I was flipping through and looking for some inspiration, and I came across this story about a curse. A curse that plagued multiple people over various years, and to this day still has the potential to do some real damage. So for this week's episode, I'd like to tell you all the story, and uh, pardon my language, but of Little Bastard and his curse. And with all that said, I'm here with Patrice. Hi, that, Patrice. That's me. I'm Patrice. <laughs> hey, it's me, Patrice. <laughs> And we have our drinks ready. We're chilling around the green portable campfire, and it's time for us to get into this week's episode. Okay, a curse. What do we know about him? I curse you. <laughs> I feel like a curse is usually a punishment of sorts put on a person by like a supernatural being or something like that. Well, I mean, that's like mad witches. Like when you mess with the wrong witch. <laughs> like a hex kind of thing? Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to curse your whole family. That's well, why you's ugly. <laughs> Well, they come in many different varieties, like, you know, maybe it's bad luck, or maybe you're ugly, and <laughs> maybe you were given, like, a haunted object, but I recently looked up the definition, and according to Webster's, a curse is, quote-unquote, to call upon the divine or supernatural to send injury upon somebody else. So, oh, so it's, like, physical... Things? Well, no, you can call upon a being to cause injury. I don't know. Injury can come in different forms. Like, for example, you're ugly. Uh, I said you're ugly first. <laughs> well, basically, we were both right, which also means that we kind of know a thing or two about a thing or two since we've been doing this podcast for <coughs> almost three years. It's my birthday. Send me stuff. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a little side check there. But uh, so a curse. It's going to bring some misfortune to their victim. But when I started to learn more about this week's story, I started to wonder, you know, what the hell did these victims or victim do to get this wrath incurred upon them? But let's get into it. So our story starts with James Dean. Are you familiar with James Dean? James Dean. All right. So that James Dean, of course, the one uh, whose birthday is actually coming up on February 8th. So shout out to James Dean and his birthday. <laughs> but... um. James Dean, he was this actor who was known for these acclaimed films like Giant 
and then East of Eden. I don't know if you've watched any of them. I think you've seen the East of Eden. I do know that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio watched some of his movies, and that's what got him into wanting to be an actor eventually. So that's kind of a cool little tidbit here. I mean, he was a big deal. Yeah, well, actually, he was on the cusp of being so great. And then, fun fact, do you remember in Grandma's house? I remember the picture of him in the car. Okay, that's what I was going to say. I was like, she used to have this photo, and it was like a black and, was it black and white, right? And he yeah. was like by a car and smoking. And I was like, who is that? And I remember asking Grandma, I'm like, is that one of our, you know, is that Grandpa? Is that one of our uncles or something like that? And she's like, no, that's James Dean. No, yeah, that's like, everybody has a, not everybody, but it's a pretty famous picture of that everybody has. Well, don't tell Patrice what I plan on getting him for his birthday <sighs> since everyone has one. But it was just funny, you know, like remembering that while I was like researching the story and things like that. But anyway, so I actually asked her about it the other day too. I was like, do you remember that picture? And she goes, no, that was your grandpa. And I was like, grandma, no. Uh, and then she's like, oh, that was, is Auntie Linda's poster actually. Oh, was that? That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a fun point, but that's neither here nor there. So James Dean, right? He was in the process of solidifying himself as Hollywood royalty is the best way to say it. And he started off in like a Pepsi commercial back in 1950 hmm. and worked his way up to smaller roles until he completed his work in East of Eden in 1954. And the movie was such a hit, it's like when he finally had just made it. So with a couple other projects that he had finished, like Giant, he had finished filming that and then another movie, he decided that he was going to take a break and then focus on another one of his passions, which was racing cars. And speaking of cars, Patrice and I just fixed, well, we fixed my car. The 93 Corolla! The 93 Corolla, but he fixed three cars today, so it's kind of perfect that we're doing this story. Anyway, so his passion was racing cars. And at this point in his life, he was 23 years old. So he was familiar with racing. He had placed in the top ranks in a couple like novice races and then a, a few bigger ones. So he had gotten like first place, second place, and third place. And... I think he was ready to take this whole thing, you know, to the next step. Hmm. So, in 1954, there was this race that was scheduled to happen in Salinas, California. Which, I know, if you're like me, then you're like, hmm, where the hell is that? Do you know where that is? Uh, north of L.A., isn't it? North of L.A., yeah. So, this is the city. It's a little bit after Monterey. And if you need a little bit more landmarks to help you envision everything, then you're above L.A., but you're under, but you're under Santa Cruz but a little bit closer to Santa Cruz than you would be to L.A., so more Northern California. Yeah. Anyway, so I found this newspaper clipping of the event, and let me share this little snippet with you all. Published by the Californian in 1955, it read, They are, for cars of various categories, in which novice, seniors, and women driven will participate to make up the day's card. The race course is 2 and 8 tenth miles, and the service is smooth macadam. Its 11 bends promise plenty of action, while two long straightaways of 2.217 feet and 2.64 feet will give the sport racers a chance to rev up their engines to well over 100 miles per hour in performance. So it's pretty cool. Like, I'm not sure how that compares to, like, other racetracks. They're supposed to be at the Salinas Airport. They had, like, set it up, and they were mm. actually putting in seats so people can sit there and watch it. Like, it was a big deal for this race to happen. So I'm assuming that since this was planned to take place on October 2nd of 1955, and with all the business you know that he had scheduled away, I'm sure that James Dean had read this news article and was like, say less, sign me up, we got the movies done, and I'm ready to do something cool, and I'm going to win first place again. And so he was a fan of Porsches, 
right? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, he had owned a 365, but was on the market for a new whip. And he ended up deciding to buy the Porsche 550 Spider. Are you familiar with that at all? No. Perfect, because I looked it up a little bit. So... Seeing as how you're a car expert now, Dylan? I did change door actuators. <clears throat> mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this car was super desirable at the time. And I'm at, actually, to this day, it still is. So back in the day, it would cost $6,000 to buy it, which was a lot of money. And now, if you get it, it's up to the millions. Like, there was a car oh, that wow. recently sold for like $4.6 million. And that's a whole other story, but we're not worrying about that. But anyway, so this Spider, it's manufactured in Germany. Its sleek design and speed made it perfect, the perfect car. I was actually talking to my coworker Tim about it. And he was like, oh, that car is beautiful. It's made all, all out of aluminum, lightweight, it's sleek, it's perfect. And so it was just exactly what James would have needed to add to his collection to eventually race in. And that's what he did. But he wanted to make this car unique to him, so he called a friend to come and help him. George Barris was his name, and this guy actually designed the Batmobile. So hmm. he called him and was like, hey, could you help me customize my car? And then another friend of these people was Dean Jeffries, and he had offered to help, and he was the one that was responsible for adding the 130 on the car, like all over on the doors. But James Dean had a really funny... Uh, nickname that he called this car and he called it little bastard so jeffries was like say less so he added the little bastards written like embroidered on the back of the car which i thought was super cool and definitely personalized to what he was trying to do so this porsche was just perfect it had the speed it had everything that he was looking for for racing but then it also had a little bit of his personality and at this point with all these adjustments made, it was time for James to make his way to the race in Salinas. So it's been a little bit over a week since James had had the car. Um, and so he decided that he was going to drive the car from L.A. to Salinas. But he wasn't going to do it alone. So James was going to be traveling with Rolf Witherick. And he was the mechanic for Porsche. And so he was going to ride with him in the car. But they were also going to have another one of his friends, Bill Hickman, which also was his stunt double, and he <laughs> was going to come along to like film the whole thing. Okay. And so he was riding in the back with his station wagon, and he was going to follow the Porsche as they drove from L.A. up to Salinas, right? So I'm going to need you to kind of keep up with this story because it's going to be a lot of dates. Well, it's going to be a lot of time stamps. So we're starting on September 30th of 1955. And it's a little bit after 1 p.m., and the trio set out, so they're leaving L.A. and they're heading up to the race. Now, about two hours go by, and the group starts getting closer to Bakersfield. And at that point, James apparently is just, like, racing down these roads. And he eventually gets pulled over by a police officer. <laughs> and he was given a speeding ticket. And I actually have a picture of the speeding ticket, which I'll put on the website. Oh, but, cool. like, this person fills it out in detail. It's just excessive speed. The roadway was clear. The road was smooth. There was nothing causing this guy to drive this fast. Yeah. And this actually wasn't the only time that he's been ticketed, which, to me, is the one reason that this cop actually did write him a ticket, was because I feel like if he was like, oh, it's James Dean, you know, like... Yeah, but he probably got away with that like a hundred times. Like, okay, time to teach this punk a lesson. Yeah. $50! <laughs> and, but James Dean's like, yeah, throwing the glove blocks with the rest of them. I got to go to my race kind of thing. So 
from what I read, the vibe that the ticket got didn't really mess up the group's trek on the trip. So they drove another two hours, and it's around about five o'clock or so. And they pulled over and they had got a drink and a snack, which I mean, I could use a drink and a snack right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they pull over. But they had somewhere to be, so they weren't going to stay there for long because the race started on October 1st. So they only had, I think they wanted to get there by the day, so they had an extra day to like rest, make sure the car was all put together correctly and everything. So I'm going to do my best to describe this next part because, well, I'm just going to try because I don't know. Yeah, know. yeah, get anyway. on with it. Okay, so James and his group were driving. They finished their snack and their drink, right? And they're driving on what is now Highway 46. I don't know if you know what that is. Anyway, there's going to be a picture online, so don't worry. And as there usually is, there was a car driving down on the opposite side of the 46. So it's two lanes, right? Right. One car's driving up. That's James because he's heading to Salinas. I'm James. Okay. I don't know if you're going to want to be him for the rest of the story, but all right. (laughs) And then there's another car which is driving the opposite way, coming down towards L.A., I'll say. Right, LA, that's we got me. this. We got this. Okay, and this car's driving the other way, and he's on his way. I don't, whatever. So this car's <laughs> okay. The car that was driving the other way was a college student and war veteran named Ed. No, Gain. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Named Donald Turnipseed. That's quite the name. It is quite the name, but it's a real name. So. Donald Turnipseed, he was traveling in a 1950 Ford Coupe, which I had seen this picture that kind of put the cars in comparison to each other. This one was almost double size and double weight, about over 3,000 pounds that this car would have weighed, whereas James Dean's car was about 1,200, you know, pounds. So it's huge in comparison. Right. So... At about 5.45, as James was driving up his Porsche, Donald was driving in his Ford, and the two were almost in the exact same section of the 46 highway. But you know how some roads, they have like this like little veer off, like if you need to get off? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's not, because it's not a major freeway, it's just a highway, but there's a road that was going to lead into the 41. Mm-hmm. And so for Donald to be able to turn into that road, he'd have to cross over the section of the 46 that James was going to be driving. Okay. Okay, so we're at about 5.45, right? So Donald's coming down, and the road was going to split. Anyway, so the connecting road is the 41. So at about 5.45, Donald needed to get off the 46 and get onto the 41. So he would need to turn, which, like I said, is going to cross over into James's road. And I would expect that he'd do his due diligence and look around to make sure that there was nobody, you know, driving I would. up towards him. And we're just going to say that he did do that. But when he turned, it would turn out that at 545, Donald and James would be in the exact same spot on the 46. <sighs> it was a head-on collision that they had. And the impact was so forceful that Rolf, the one who was in the car mm. with uh, the mechanic, he got yeah. flown and ejected out of the car. Yeah. Now, he was left pretty bad, but he was alive. As for Donald, his car, it flew too. It flew into a ditch. But okay. Donald got a couple scrapes and bruises. Now, as we go back, James, however, wasn't as lucky. That Porsche was a wreck. It was mangled. And James had a broken neck. 
So an ambulance gets there and they try to rush him to the hospital. But on their way at 6.20 of September 30th, 1955, James Dean was pronounced dead. Oh, I thought you were going to say they hit Donald again. No, what? I don't know. Why not? He's in a ditch. Like So <laughs> he can get out of the ditch eventually. Anyway, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> okay, so an investigation would ensue, and they questioned Donald, and he stated that he did look before he crossed the road, but he didn't see James Dean, and so that's why he crossed in order to get to the 41. Now, I don't know how, but through the wreckage, they were able to kind of clock at how fast James Dean was driving. He mm. was going 85 miles per hour. Well, I mean, that's not incredibly fast. I was thinking the same thing, but I'm wondering maybe if, like, the way that the sun was sitting at that time, he's in the silver little Porsche, like, if you're driving for through a second. the desert, like, which I would imagine that space at that time was more deserty, like, are you noticing this little silver car zipping real quick through the freaking I mean, maybe highway? not. I, I would assume that would be more... And who of knows a reasonable like a, explanation a if hill, he's going like, faster? It, yeah, it could be a or hill. just a curve. Yeah, so it, it's just a lot of things, and I don't I haven't seen the strip of land. Like from the picture that I saw, it looks pretty open, but I'm not sure. So he said that he looked, but he didn't see anything, and then that's why he turned. But ultimately, it caused this crash. Yeah. So after everything was said and done, James was the one who had paid for this situation with his life. And at the age of 24, with a promising career ahead of him, he lost it. Mm -hmm. So after his death, it seemed like stories would come up from James's closest friends. Some of them saying that they felt like the car wasn't safe for him to be driving, um, and let alone going to go race. And one of his friends named Sir Alec Guinness, do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. He played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. Yeah, so he had said that he had seen James in the car, and he remembered, and he actually had wrote this down, and this is a quote from him, but his recollection was, um, the sports car looked sinister to me. Huh. Exhausted, hungry, feeling a little ill-tempered in spite of Dean's kindness, I heard myself saying in a voice that I could hardly recognize as my own, please never get in it. If you get in that car, you'll be found dead in it by this time next week. End quote. And that's exactly kind of what happened. Because he had made that statement the week before James had left to go to Salinas. Mm. Which, I don't know, it just seemed like the car might have just given off some type of vibe. I don't know if, you know, this guy could have just been a little jealous. But also maybe he was really concerned because, like, this car was fast. And maybe he knew James had his need for speed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so all these things. And then in another revelation, I guess the original plan was to have the... Porsche spider towed initially mm. and then just have them meet them at the I mean if you're going to be racing Venus. that's generally what people would do but but I think because he only had the car for such a short time like they convinced yeah. themselves like it would make more sense for us to just get familiar with the car and just ride it out there yeah I mean I thing. could see either argument right yeah okay so they passed on that idea so they ended up driving the car which we all know what happened so the story so far for me to hear about all this stuff, like if you hadn't heard it before, it was pretty crazy. But I needed to share all these events that would ultimately start a chain of mysterious activity. And that's where the real episode's going to start. Because remember how I said that Sir Alec Guinness felt like something was off with the car? Well, maybe he was right. So hear me out real quick. I don't want to. What? Anyway, <laughs> so after the accident, and after it was believed that the car was considered a total wreck, it gets 
bought for almost $3,000. And guess who buys it? Guinness? No. That's a good guess. But George hey. Barris, the one who had customized oh, the car. Yeah, yeah. So he had uh, bought the car. And then that's when things started to get crazy. So after it was purchased, this wreck fell off of a trailer and actually broke one of the mover's legs. <laughs> okay? That's the first one. And then the car makes it to George, and he's like, you know what? We should use this car to give it to the CHP, so that way they can show people, like, this is what happens if you're reckless and you drive a car. Mm. And so they do that little stint for a good minute, right? But shortly after this, they decided, like, okay, we're going to take the car back, but we're going to sell it for parts. So they sell parts of the cars to two... So they sell parts of the car to two physicians. One of them named Troy McHenry, and the other one named William Estridge. So the two decided that they wanted to do a race of their own. So they newly upgraded their cars. And on October 21st of 1956, almost a year after the crash that killed James Dean, the two physicians were off. Well, it resulted in both of them being in an accident. William was injured, but this accident has caused Troy to hit a tree and die due to the impact of hitting that tree. Mm-hmm. That's what happens with... You hit a tree, usually. Well, there were two more weird events that had taken place between 1956 and 1959. Two tires were sold to a buyer out in New York, uh, but both of the tires had popped while this person was driving, which caused another accident. And, I mean, I don't know who's going out and about to buy these, you know, tires from a wrecked car. (laughs) I don't think that even I would do that, but, I mean, whatever. So then another story was this guy allegedly broke into the car. But while breaking into the car, because it was still mangled, he, like, sliced his arm open. Oh, okay. So then that happened. I mean, that just seems like karma. And then in all these escapades where the car is being transported and moved around, allegedly two people were killed while they were moving it because it, like, fell over and, like, crushed them. No way. Now, this is all allegedly. And, yes. Okay. So... After this, George decided that he would sell Little Bastard on, like, a little, like, Hollywood car tour. And it would be sent along carrying the history for onlookers to come see. But in 1959, the car was in storage where a fire broke out. Now, Little Bastard escaped basically unscathed. But the other cars in the storage were damaged. Hmm. So that's kind of weird. And at this point in Little Bastard's history, he was left to be on display in New Orleans because I guess, you know, they were like, this is the perfect place to leave a car that allegedly has a curse. Makes sense to me. But then while it was there, it just started like falling apart randomly. So everybody was just like, what's going on with this car? Like, people are dying. At least in this store, we have four people connected to a death, if not more. And then people are getting cut. People are getting in accidents. Any piece of this car that it touches, it's like, you know, torture. So they decide, like, okay, it's falling apart. Let's just transport the car back to L.A. And then we'll just keep it here. Like, George is going to, like, hold on to it. So they load the car up in a train. And when that train arrives in L.A., little bastard is gone. <laughs> it just disappeared with no evidence of where it could have possibly have been. Now they looked for him. They put out rewards and looking for any, like buddy who can tell them where the car is but they couldn't find it and some people just speculated that george like had formed the news about the car's disappearance so that way he can get like notoriety and like acclaim could. but even after he died when people had like ransacked his house for any kind of clues that would lead them to where this car is 
They didn't find anything. Hmm. To this day, it's still missing, and people are looking for it. Some people post stuff like on eBay, like, here's a part of James Dean's, you know, Porsche 550 Spider, you know, buy it now for such and such amount of money. But that, like I said, they recently found one of the Porsche Spiders, and they sold that car, like I said, for over $4 million. They just found yeah. it in a random barn, but it didn't belong to James Dean. So people are still out looking and searching for this car, but they haven't been able to find it. And I don't know. No, wait. And so that's the end of this story. People still are on the hunt for Little Bastard. But will we ever find it? All we can do now is just follow the timeline of the destruction that this car has created and been connected to. So what do you think? Was it a curse? I think that um, that car is living a blessed life. Blessed life? It's yeah, taking lives. Running around, hurting whoever he wants, doing everything he wants, crashing into stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> When Patrice grows up, that's who he wants to be. Goals. Go hashtag life goals. <laughs> but I don't know. Like this story to me was just crazy. Like when I read it, I was like, okay, we'll do it in like two different segments. Like I'll do this short story about James Dean's yeah. cursed car, and then another short story about another curse. But then I, I started getting into the meat of it all. I'm like, this is a crazy story. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Within like two weeks, James Dean got this car and was dead. Crazy. And he won awards for the movies that he was in. So that's when you know your career's taken off when you get a claim and then you start getting awards. And but then you die. He was nominated for them post death, like after he died right. kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. And so now is that out of guilt? No, I think it was just like he's acting was just superb, but the story itself is just crazy to me to hear. Yeah. And then all the people connected, like everybody who had had any issues were all connected to some part of Little Bastard or being around Little Bastard. Right. So a curse sounds about right to me. But yes, you are. If anything, we could just say that something was wrong with its medulla oblongata. <laughs> <laughs> My yep. mama said, mama said, something's wrong with your medulla oblongata. Could always say that. Mm -hmm. It's true. Well, that's the end of today's story. What did you think? No, well, I thought it was a good one because I'm sure I heard bits and pieces, but I never actually sat and I honestly never cared enough to actually sit there and look into it. But I mean, now that I heard it, I'm glad I heard it. Yeah, like it's something that you might want to look into a little bit more now just because it's like, oh, yeah. like there's a curse. Like, I don't know if I ever watched any of his movies or anything like that. Like, I've heard, like, oh, it's James Dean. Like, that's cool, you know? Mm. But there's so much like history. And because it's also. Like, it's not old, old, but it's, like, older. And yeah. it's at a time when information... Was, yeah, of course. You know, easily so lost. lost. Yeah. yeah, and, like, there's no tracking. Like, you're just going to put the car on a train and just let it go? Yeah. Like, nowadays, if it was some celebrity's car that they were transporting, freaking have, like, armored cars and guards and a tracker I mean, on would it. they do all that? I think that if it was something that could be worth that much money, like, they were making a good amount of money off of it for a long time. Yeah. And it just disappears? Like, I don't know. Like... They have, like, jewels, you know, like, that they have, like, Secret Service, like, follow around. Yeah. Anyway. But that's the end of today's story. Is it a curse? I mean, it kind of sounds like one. Mm -hmm. But it is a pretty interesting story to hear. I'd never heard about it before. Anyway. Well, with all that said, you're at the end of another episode. So I'm going to post stuff on our website, www.campfireadventurespodcast.com. So you can look at that for all those pictures I was telling you about. I'll post stuff on our Facebook and Instagram at Campfire Adventures Podcasts. And what do you listen to this in the morning or the evening? I hope you have a good morning or a good evening. But with all that said, I'm going to say bye. So, bye. Bye. Oh, wait, quick shout out. If the girls from Vans are listening to this, shout out to the two girls from Vans for listening to this. <laughs> Whoop. All right, now bye. <laughs>